We are continuing in Genesis. We're rolling through Genesis, and it's been quite the journey. Where uh, right now we are in part two of the flood, uh, Noah and the flood in Genesis six, seven, eight, and nine. Previously on the flood, <laughs> just as a recap. So this is previously on the flood. Last week we talked about um, the beginning of chapter six. Um, you have. Uh, the writer of Genesis introducing this strange kind of fact that the sons of God, right, these sons of God, these heavenly beings, were taking the daughters of man at will, and there was intermarriage. And there's some question as to what are the sons of God and what are who are the daughters of man? Are these angels or celestial beings? Are these kings that are like gods who are marrying whoever they wish? Or are these um, the sons of Seth in the line of Seth intermarrying with the daughters of Cain, and so there's intermarriage. We don't know. There's lots of theories, um, but this is used to set up um, the fact that the world, the sin and rebellion in the world, is multiplying. Because of this, it's kind of like the the kickoff point for for sin in the world. And in six five, we read that the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race has become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of human of the human heart was only evil all the time. So the human heart, what was in the human heart, was saturated. Just like if you spill coffee or you spill orange juice and you have paper towels, right? You wipe off the coffee with paper towels, and what happens? If the paper towel is saturated, it's just, you're just slopping around liquid. It's still a puddle, right? You gotta go squeeze that thing out or get a new paper towel that's not saturated um, and suck it up. The human heart was like that in the world. That sin had multiplied exponentially, so much so that every thought, every inclination that was in the, the hearts of people was evil, was evil. And, and so then we read that God was very sad, saddened by this. And the word actually was regretted, right? Making human beings and creating the world. And, and so he decided um, that he would, um, that he would destroy creation, that he would destroy um, humanity and, and the world. Um, that's troubling in itself, right? A God, a loving God, how can he do this? Um, and I, I invite you guys to wrestle with that um, and struggle with that. Um, the thing that I see in this is not a vengeful God, right? One narrative is, oh, God is such a vengeful, wrathful God. Just out of a whim, he just decides, oh, my, I don't like the building that I built with my Lego block. I'm going to just destroy everything because it doesn't satisfy my whim. That God is just a childlike God, right? And so that's the narrative some of us give, like, oh, God is childlike and wrathful. If I make a mistake, he's going to, you know, he's going to punish me. He's going to punish people, right? When disasters happen, when floods happen, when earthquakes happen, right, God is punishing people for their sin because God doesn't like what's happening. And so when he doesn't like what's happening, he destroys people. And I don't think this is the God that we see uh, in these passages. The God that we see, again, a God who regrets 
such he's mourning inside at the state of humanity. And in, in some way, it's gotten, it's multiplied to the, fa- to the point where hum- human com- humanity is hurting itself, right? It's, such, it's perpetuating so much that human beings are murdering one another and murdering, like, just the, the goodness of the corruption of so much that it's almost like you can't see the image of God, right, in people. And so God is saving humanity from itself. And in this case, it means wiping the slate clean. When we left out last week, God had shut the door, right? God told Noah to build his ark, gave him a, a lot of instructions, very specific, detailed instructions. Do this, do this, do this, this many cubits, this many cubits. And so Noah did everything that he commanded him. He took all the pairs of animals, male and female. He took all of his family, all of his family's wives, his sons, wives, and all that. And all the food that they needed built this ark, went into society, and God shut the door. And that's when we ended. Um, and from there, right, you have uh, pairs of every living creature. Uh, in fact, you have seven pairs of clean animals, which we'll see later. It matters because Noah's supposed to make sacrifices to God. So if you only have one pair of clean animals there to make a sacrifice, then how are they going to propagate that species or something? So every lion, every lizard, even spiders, I think. Janice will hate me for this, but perhaps there were spiders. And it rained for 40 days and nights. Nights. And the waters rose, and the waters rose, and the waters rose, and the waters rose. Um, So much that the boat rose above the earth, rose above the highest mountaintops, um, floating on these waters. And Noah was 600 years. That just blows me away. Man. If I'm 600 years old, I'm like, make me now, God. I'm tired of living on this earth. All right? There's only so many reruns I can watch. Um, and then everything, it says everything that has had breath in its nostrils died. And then the flood waters remained on the earth for 150 and following that, you have all of this, the waters begin to recede, um, and then there's this whole waiting game, and, and Noah sends out birds to see what's going on outside, he sends out other things, and finally, there's dry land. But in chapter 8, verse 1, uh, and I think that, it says, God remembered, God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were, were with him. Sent the wind over the earth and the waters receded. But I want to focus on that. The but God, right? But God and then the remembering. Because but God, the nevertheless, is throughout scripture, right? There's sin in the world. There's corruption. Things are tough. We go through crisis. We hit bumps along the road. But God, right? We mess up. We walk away. Right? We're ungrateful. We slap God in the face. We forget the covenant. We forget that he delivered us out of Egypt. We forget that he opened up the waters. Right? And we walk away. We worship other gods. We go to idols. We go to our other addictions and habits. We self-medicate. Right? To make us feel better. To numb us. 
from reality. But God, nevertheless, God in his very nature wants a relationship with us. God in his very nature wants a loving relationship with us. He wants a covenant relationship with us. He wants to continue to connect, to connect, to connect. And this is just crazy because most of us, when we get slapped in the face once, we ain't coming back, right? But God, slap in the face, I love you. God, slap in the face, I love you. God, slap in the face, I love you. And it's this but God that is the gospel story, amen? But God is the character of God. He comes back over and over and over and over to love us. And that's the amazing beauty of the story. And we can't forget that. It's not the wrath of God that we need to focus on, right? It's the but God, the nevertheless. He remembered that word remember, right? And this is what, uh, this is the, the Noah covenant is the first of several covenants. Uh, you, get, uh, you get the Mosaic covenant, you have the, the covenant with Abraham before that. Um, but there's the Noah covenant. And remember is a common phrase or a common, kind of common uh, action of God. And God remembered his covenant with his people. And God remembered, right, his people. And God remembered. And this is a good reminder. We need to remember that God remembered. Amen. It's a good reminder. Remember that God remembered you. Right? Sometimes, uh, even as a pastor, maybe especially as a pastor or a spiritual man, Sometimes I get lost, right? I fail, I stumble, I struggle in my own spirituality, in my own faith, in walking the walk and being a disciple of Christ. I fail all the time. And sometimes I don't have, as a leader, a Christian leader, I feel like I have to have more hope than, right, most of the people in order to lead people into hope. I have to have more faith than most of the people in order to lead people into faith. Right? I have to be, I have to cuss less than the average person in order to be righteous and good and be able to be called pastor. Right? And so as long as I'm staying ahead of people in the race, then I'm doing good. But sometimes the reality is I fail all the time. And sometimes I'm down in the dust. Sometimes I doubt. Sometimes I struggle with my faith. Sometimes I stumble. Sometimes I wrestle with uh, impatience or anger or uh, envy or jealousy or whatever it is, I struggle with those things. Sometimes life looks dark and there doesn't seem to be a light, right? And I have to get up in the morning and be called. Um, and it's good to be reminded that God remembers. God remembers me even when I feel lost. Even when I feel so far away that I can't come back, can I? There's no way I can come back. God remembers his covenant with his people. And God remembers you. And God remembers your family members. And God remembers uh, your friends. And God remembers the people in your life. And he's constantly initiating. He's constantly chasing you down. Chasing people down. He wants to bring people back to relationship with them. He wants to restore. Even if we don't know or see that, 
we do that. We want it to happen. Amen? There's absolute corruption. There's an absolute corruption in the earth, and the heart of people are rotten to the core. And there's in the flood there's a decreation, an uncreation, the uncreate, and there's absolute judgment. And yet, at the beginning of chapter eight, uh, we are given the nevertheless. We are given the seed of hope. We are given God's new intent, a small sprout from a heap of ashes. God will recreate. God will take a righteous remnant and build something new. He will take Noah and his family and build something new. He will take every little creature that's in the ark and he'll recreate. And he will re- recreate Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 all over again. Um, let's read uh, Genesis 8, 14 through 22. By 20 seventh day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives, all the animals and the cre- all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after the other. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done, as long as the earth endures. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. First thing that uh, I wanted to point out about this section is that offerings like people's offerings in worship becomes more formalized, right? There's a, a ritualized worship. God says, Noah builds an altar and um, he sacrifices burnt offerings of animals. And this is why we see like, oh, there were seven pairs of clean animals that he had to sacrifice and offer uh, these burnt offerings. Um, and uh, it harkens back to Cain and Abel, right? When we talk about the Cain and Abel story, we talk about how they brought their offerings, right, to God. Um, and the offering, actually, that Noah brings is an offering of animals, right? And this is the same as Abel's offering. So I don't know if there's a connection there or anything like that, um, but sacrifices were animals and not vegetables. And in considering this and thinking about this uh, and going back to the Cain and Abel story, I think one of the things that some commentators say is the reason why God actually did not accept Cain's sacrifice was not anything that Cain necessarily did, but it was because the ground was cursed. Right? After Adam and Eve's rebellion, God curses the ground. And so every fruit of that cursed ground 
was cursed as well. So that, that's one way to look at it. So uh, we see this whole theme of the cursed ground, right? Adam and Eve sin, and so the ground is cursed. Cain, and Cain murders Abel, uh, and his, right, his blood spills into the ground, and the ground soaks the blood in. God kind of smells the blood in the ground. Um, and so that's another example of the ground being cursed or just saturated um, with like badness. Um, and then when the flood comes, there's a, almost this image of a cleansing um, of the ground. So it, it could be like a foreshadowing of Christ's sacrifice, right? Christ's blood shed, covers, right, and purifies sin. Just as the waters of the flood purifies and cleanses the ground. And so that's one thing, like, okay, God likes animal sacrifices and not plant sacrifices. Um, so just food for thought, just to think about things. Um, and then the other thing that I wanted to point about this is nothing changed with regard to human hearts, right? So if you look at verse 21 again, never again will I curse the ground because of humans. I'm not going to curse the ground again because, because of humans. Uh, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Right? Even at post-flood, right? Uh, post-flood, the inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. Right? So this is very interesting because we think, oh, because every human being was evil, Right? Their inclination was evil, thus the flood, right? So that the result of the flood is to pur what? purge people, right? So that people will be, what? Good again. But the fact of the matter is, people are still evil. And every inclination is still evil. So what is this, this blessing, this new covenant that God is giving? Is it reflective of, is new creation reflective of now human beings are going to be so much better and so creation is going to be way better? Or is it reflective of this magnanimous, unconditional love of the Father, right? That he would say, would almost, uh, I don't know how to put it, not repent, right? He'd almost change his heart. Right, and say, never again am I going to do this. Never again am I going to do this. This is going to be the condition of humanity, but destroying everything with the flood, I'm not going to do that. You see what I'm saying? I'm not going to do that anymore. Isn't that amazing? That's a different way to look at the story and a different way to kind of see the character of God. Uh, so nothing changed in the inclination of us. Um, and then, never will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You see, almost a God who's changing his mind. We see this office, we see this in uh, Exodus with the Moses story. And Moses says, don't destroy all the people. If you don't go, I'm not going to go. If you don't go with us. And he intercedes on behalf of the people of Israel. And God changes his mind. Okay, I won't destroy them. I'll keep going with them. What is, what is this notion of God who changes his mind of God who's like, man, I regret this. I regret that I did this. It's, it's, it's for some reason, it's strange in our minds, right? Because what it means is, 
God is, is he seems more human than he is. Um, it challenges the omnipotent. We like to say God is omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing, right? He never makes mistakes. He's fallible. And I don't know, this is a mystery to me. I don't know the answer. But in our family group, uh, when was it? Yesterday, or Saturday, or Friday, uh, we were talking about parenting. And one of the things that we talked about, the questions that we asked is, when do we ever model for our children failure? Right? So then I was like, as a parent, should I apologize to my kids? I was like, there's something about that that's like, well, I'm supposed to show them that I'm all knowing, all powerful. My authority should never be questioned. You don't question my authority. And if I apologize, somehow that takes, takes me down, right? That I'm going to lose respect or kind of whatever. And it just made me think about this. Like, what does it teach us? A God who grieves, right? What does it teach us when we see a God who grieves and kind of changes direction? Does it challenge your view of God? Or does it build up your view of God? Deep thoughts. <laughs> um, and then finally, there's this little poem at the end in 27 through. As long as the earth endures, sea time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, Again, this is the echo of creation, the creation story. Right? In creation, God, God creates by setting, distinguishing one from the other. It's like the yin and yang of God's creation, but it's not yin and yang, it's God. Right? We, we, God creates by clarifying the identity of two separate things. Right? And through boundaries and orders, that's what makes the goodness of creation. Right? Night and day, sky and ground, waters, right? Uh, man and woman, this animal and that animal, birds of the sky, the moon and the sun. You see what I'm saying? There's a contrast, and that creates, those contrasts create a rhythm that creates the day, that creates the week, right? And so in this, you see a God, a God of week, an image of recreation. God is recreating post flood, right? Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Because if you imagine 40 days of rain and 40 days of 40 nights and days of rain, right? It's sheer darkness. So it's like living in Alaska where there's six months, right? Or it's living in Seattle, which is about to happen. For three months, we're not gonna see the sun, right? For those of you who just moved here, well, <laughs> but uh, just get Costco sells the big size of vitamin D pills. <laughs> During the flood, while it was raining, there was no night and day, right? Those rhythms were all messed up. Like, you wake up, you're floating, right? It's dark. I don't know. You're, we're in the heart. I can't see anything. But in this, we see that God says, day and night will not see. That rhythm, I'm restoring that rhythm, right? And it's it's gonna be forever, right? This is this is a part of my creation. Amen. That's beautiful.
And then 9-1. Let's look at 9-1. Beginning of chapter 9, it says, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on the beasts of the earth and on the birds in the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So again, going with the theme of recreation, like a new creation, we see this echo of God's blessing um, to Adam and Eve in one, chapter 1, verse 28, of be fruitful and multiply, right? Be fruitful and increase and fill the earth. And so God is saying the same thing, blessing, using the same blessing on Noah and his sons. But what's the difference? There's a difference. The difference is before Adam and Eve were also called to be stewards of creation, stewards of the animals, just like Noah and his sons are also called to be stewards and caretakers of creation. But now there's a wedge between animals and people. Right? The animals are like, look at this mess you got us into, right? People jacked everything up, the ground got cursed, now the flood came, and we got ushered into the spark, and we're, what just happened? And they're like, afraid and terrified of people now, right? You guys are messing things up, and so it says that the animals are terrified of people. Something has changed. We live in that reality, right? right? The other day, Tammy saw a squirrel in the park, and she started chasing it. And she couldn't get why the squirrel just kept going. And she kept running, and I was afraid. She was like, a hundred yards out before I finally, I should follow her, because she's going to chase that squirrel into the street. But she's just chasing him. What is it? The squirrel predictably runs away from her, right? Squirrels are afraid of people. Animals, like birds, fly away when you walk towards them. Insects scatter away into the shadows. Like, for some reason, right, creatures are afraid of people because we're terrified. And so this is kind of a break, the difference that happens. Um, and the other thing is that, uh, so God says, the fear and terror of you shall rest on every animal of the earth and on every bird of the air. Into your uh, hands they are delivered. And then the second piece is, and this I did, this blows me away because I didn't see this detail. But prior to the flood, everyone was vegetarian. He talks about now everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you green plants, I now give you so Adam and Eve were eating of the fruit of the garden, right? But now uh, they can eat everything. They can eat animals. Um, now meat eating, and I'm glad for this actually. I don't see, not necessarily a curse, maybe it's a blessing in disguise, kind of like leather covering when they're naked. Um, not a part of the divine will for creation. God didn't will this. This isn't an active like thing. It's a result, a consequence. 
not prescriptive of God's part, but descriptive. Because this has happened, these are the consequences. Animals are afraid of you, and I'm going to give animals into your hand. You're going to hunt them, and you're going to eat them. But I want you to take care of them. Uh, so Noah, the story of Noah and the ark is just a huge story, so I'm just... <laughs> Doing my best to go through it. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Let's read that really quickly. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, how about repetition? I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on earth. So God said to Noah, this is a sign the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. And so we have here the introduction of covenant. Right? Now, this is the first time we see covenant. This is the first covenant in Scripture. And in the ancient Near East, like in the area during the time in which Genesis was written, uh, covenants were legal documents, um, usually cementing like a, a, a type of relationship um, of mutual obligation between like usually a higher, a greater power, like a king and a lesser power. Um, And the first, but the first thing to notice about God's covenant here with Noah that may be different or distinguished from covenants um, during the time in which these words were written is uh, that one, this covenant is not with Noah alone. Did you notice this? I now, I now establish my covenant with you, with your descendants after you, and what? Every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, that God, this, this blew me away to that God's covenant, the first covenant that God makes, is with Noah and his descendants, humanity, but also with everything that has life, the creatures, right, the animals. Uh, and sometimes we miss this, right? Sometimes we miss that God has a relationship and care for the world. and he's the sole actor and he's 
sole benefactor of the company, which is kind of odd, right, if you think about it, because we're the ones who messed up, right? We're the ones who messed up. Um, and again, that whole question is, is God repenting? Is God making concessions? Why is he, is he a doormat for us to walk on, right? Why is he just, just lavishing us with unconditional, right? With unconditional love. Like everything is about what God is going to do. Like there's no mutual obligation. There's no, he's not saying if you do this, if you do this, if you do this, if you do this. It's all God saying, I'm making this covenant. I'm putting my bow in the sky. By the way, that's an image of like a, a warrior's bow, right? So some say it's like God is hanging his bow, bow the warrior's bow, in the sky as a promise, as a reminder, as a sign of the covenant to say he won't destroy the earth like this again. So God is like laying to rest his arms right, against creation and humanity. So that's, that's kind of crazy imagery. That is amazing. But God is saying, I will remember. Um, just see all the places God is the actor. I will. I will do this. I will see it and remember. I'm going to do this. I will. I will. I will. And there's no conditions. Right? There's no stipulations put on people. I will not do this again. I will always remember my covenant. Right? And when I see this, when this rainbow is put up, I will, be, I will remember. So in summary, and in application, um, the Noah covenant, one, it's with all living things. And this has implications for us today with regards to how we care about our environment and how we care about creation, right? Creation isn't here for us to just consume it and be like, we are the paragon of all creation, right? God put animals here so I can kill it and eat it, and I don't care. That's not, that's not it. We need to honor and respect and care for you. That's part of being Christian. That's part of, part of being made in God's image and called by God is to have care for creation. And then secondly, uh, is about God's unconditional offer in this covenant, in Noah's covenant. There's no reciprocal stipulation. Everything rests with God. It's a I know, as a father, I ain't giving anything free to my kids, right? Right? Because they're gonna walk all over me. I'm not gonna say to Isaiah, I'm just giving you everything. What I say to Isaiah is, if you do this, then I'll do this for you, right? You do this, I'll do this. You do this, I'll do this. But in Noah covenant, there's none of that. What does that say? And then, thirdly, God gives boo, right? God regrets, God remembers. This whole image of I will remember. I, I will no longer do this. I won't do this ever again. Um, God moves to restore a relationship with God. And I think this is, what this tells us is about the incarnation of God, right? This is, it, it makes sense that Jesus is born. Right? 
God would go the extra mile to connect with us on this earth. Right? God is chasing you. God is seeking you out. God is seeking humanity out. Even though we don't deserve it. Right? God is seeking 